All right, and thank you so much for making the machine a part of your daily morning routine. And part of that morning routine means great stories, great guests that come onto our platform. And we're always the machine that makes your mornings move. So we make it do what it do. Now, I will say this though, this has been a long time coming. And when I say a long time coming, I mean a long time coming. It's been almost two years now since we met up at a Juneteenth festival. And it was right around the corner from the studio. And we met, we shook hands, we talked for a little bit. It was just an absolutely amazing experience with this man. This man is who I watch every weekend on Fox College Sports and he is just doing his thing. This man has been in sports for a long, long time. And he was also an anchor on the Black News Channel. I know that channel is no longer, and we valued that channel greatly. But I watched him and Sharon Reed every single morning. Start your day with Sharon and Mike. Well, I would have said Mike and Sharon, but to each its own. But in the meantime, between time, I am so honored to finally have this powerful brother on this morning. And he has a book called Open Mike. And we're going to be he's going to be an open mic this morning. He's going to inspire a lot of people this morning. Ladies and gentlemen, right here for the first time on The Morning Machine, yet again, a long time coming. This is the one and only Mike Hill. How you doing, my guy? What's up, brother Rob? How you doing, man? Good morning to you. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate that intro, my brother. Absolutely. You know, we, we definitely bring energy to everything that we do. And, you know, without further ado, I want to go ahead and jump right into it because I like to do a rewind with every one of my guests. Yeah. Let's take it back to the old school. Let's take it to Union Square. You know that song. Yeah, you, brother, you know that song. Absolutely. You probably know the rest of the lyrics to that song. It's all good. Absolutely. But to, let's take it back a little bit to the start of the journey. So when you were coming up in in your childhood, what was it that brought you to the career path of television? Um, well, two things. One thing was I wanted to be a, a play basketball and football and baseball. I wanted ah. to play all these sports that I talk about right now. But I realized at an early age that, um, Mike, you ain't going to make it. <laughs> it ain't going to be in the cards for you as far as uh, playing professionally because I really wasn't that great playing it on that level. Although I was good, I wasn't great. And I just uh, always had the mindset that, you know what, um, just be realistic about yourself. Maybe if I work harder and train with other people, maybe if I loved it as much as uh, other people did and wanted it more, maybe I could have taken it to that next level. Uh, mm -hmm. You don't know what you're capable of doing until you try it, but I just realized that, man, I wanted to stay in it in some kind of way. So I try to just shift it. And I tell people all the time, sometimes your life shifts. You know, you could go uh, and have an interest in something and think you love that, you know, sports or it could be accounting. It could be, you know, uh, intelligence. It could be a lot of different things. And you think your life is going to go one particular way. And then you realize, man, that sometimes 
life gives you detours that you really need to go down. That's your path because that is your purpose that God has for you on this earth. So being in sports and going into that direction was kind of that path. I was able to stay in sports without playing sports and uh, it's worked out for me. And then also when I was younger, um, I was dating with my first wife when I was in high school. Her uncle was a news reporter in uh, Birmingham, Alabama. I grew up in Bessemer, Alabama, and his name was Michael Hill, too. And at this time, this was back in the day before you saw a lot of us on television in the 80s. And he was a black man who looked like me with my name. And I was like, wow, um, I can do that, too. And that gave me the belief that I could do it. So those are the two things that at an early age made me realize that, okay, this is the kind of life that I want to lead. And this type of career that I want to have. What was it about seeing a person that looked like you on television that resonated with you uh, throughout this time? It just made me believe that it was possible. I mean, you know, it was him. It was uh, I remember Max Robinson back in the day, a long time ago, who used to do the anchor at ABC News uh, in the 80s, whatever. I think he was the black national anchor, first black national anchor ever to do things like that. Uh, to see him, uh, the late, great Fred Hickman, uh, who was on CNN Sports at the time a long time ago with Nick Charles, uh, being able to see these faces that look like me uh, at a time when it wasn't that many of us on the air uh, made me feel like, you know what, if they can do it, why can't I? You know, I, maybe their circumstances may have been a little bit different. Obviously, I grew up in a certain situation, in a certain environment, a certain neighborhood that we might talk about uh, during this interview or whatnot. Uh, that was uh, a little bit more difficult for me. But I know if I if I knew if, if I stuck with it, if I put my mind to it, uh, that I could do anything. Uh, we're taping this right now on the uh, the birthday, my, my, my grandmother's birthday. Uh, and she her birthday is January 23rd. I want to get a date away. But at the same time, she is uh, the person that I believe in the most and the one that believed in me. And she always taught me that no matter um, what I wanted to do in life, what I wanted to become, I could actually become that. And so seeing those people, uh, given that visual of knowing that it was actually possible and the belief that my grandmother and my mom put into me made me realize that I could have this career one day. And, you know, it's interesting because you you had a career in sports for a long time. And then at one point you worked at the worldwide leader in yeah. sports where you got to really work hand in hand with the late, great Stuart Scott. What was that experience like? It was great. I mean, uh, Stu uh, opened up a lot of doors for especially black men like me. Um, you know, it was funny because Stuart was, and I say this with all due respect, he was the blessing and the curse in a sense for me. Um, like Stu being there uh, was similar to the style that I had to. Now he obviously was on ESPN and national television first, so a lot of people, you know, it's almost like the rap game in a sense. You know, when you have a, a guy who has a, a style or whatnot, then somebody else comes along. People think you're trying to bite them. But if anybody knows my background, anybody knows uh, who I am and what I've done in my life and the type of experience I had in my life, you'll know that uh, I'm so authentic. Uh, when you see me on air, that's exactly who I am. As a matter of fact, I wish I could be a little bit more like myself on air, but there are limitations to this thing. Uh, but when I came on ESPN, like I said, it was a blessing and a curse because through while opening up the doors and allowing uh, black men like me to come through and have a little bit more flavor and still have a little bit more swag or, you know, uh, use certain words that certain people in certain environments weren't used to. It was also the curse because me coming in there and having a similar style to Stu, 
a lot of people felt like I was trying to bite him or trying to be like him or whatnot. And I had issues one time when I was uh, at the Worldwide Leader, which, you know, like no, no disrespect to ESPN, still the, the greatest sports environment there is. I got to admit that even though I'm in five sports right now, I think they know that um, there were powers that be that made me feel uncomfortable being myself uh, because they already, quote unquote, already had one of those people. Uh, there was an incident I wrote in my book about that where I was with a uh, talent coordinator and the talent coordinator told me that the reason I wasn't moving up was because I was uh, a little too urban. He didn't use the word urban, um, but uh, and they already had somebody like that in Stuart Scott. So uh, I had to change my identity. I lost my identity. I lost uh, who I was for a while while I was at ESPN. But slowly but surely after I left ESPN, I started getting it back. What were the concepts that you utilized to be able to get through times like that? Because it's not easy to be told that you're too urban, quote yeah. unquote, for, and you're not moving up because of it. I'm sure that was a very difficult time. And was that your first time ever hearing that from anybody in the top brass? No, no. I mean, like, that's the first time I heard it at that level, but that's the first time that it actually really scared me. I'll say this, um, you know, without going too far in details, I don't want to have that much time. But, you know, like throughout my career, I've had people who are what they call consultants come in. I always call them insultants because it was their job to actually find something that was negative or wrong with you. So they insulted anything that you did on television. Uh, so I've had, you know, people come in talking about you have to wear a mustache, whatever. I'm a black man. So, yeah, I wear a mustache every now and then. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, certain words I would use. They wanted me to clean up. They wanted me to be a little bit more Midwestern-ish. They wanted me to be a little bit more white, to be quite honest with you. Uh, not, you know, that everything was black and white, but they wanted me to be a little bit more on that side instead of having the flavor that I had or whatnot, even though I was doing sports. So yeah, on a local level, that was fine. But one thing I was able to do is push through because I had people on the local level, news directors, executive producers, and other anchors who encouraged me to push that way because I was coming up through the ranks and I was getting making a name for myself in these local markets. So there wasn't really much I could do about it. When I got to ESPN, I had lost the job in Dallas because of my style uh, to a guy who was very conservative, had never hired a black guy ever in his 20 years of being there or whatnot. And there was a lot of tension that we had between one another with my style or whatever. And it cost me my job. So when you're out of work and then you finally get a job at ESPN after looking for a year and a half, you know, you go and you have a little bit of trepidation about your style and anything that you do. So now when somebody comes to you and says, hey, you need to change this. Hey, you've been fired before. You've been out of work for a while. Yeah, you you start thinking about a little bit more. So uh, it was a process for me and it was very difficult for me because I felt like I really couldn't be myself. And I lost the love of being a sportscaster and everything I got into this thing for because I felt like I really couldn't be myself. Uh, on air and whatnot. So uh, after a while, um, I just said, forget it, man. It's like, if I can't be me, then I'm not going to do it. So I just kind of went against the grain, maybe became a little bit of a rebel. Uh, once I started getting a little bit more notoriety, getting on shows like First Take and being more opinionated or whatever, and those shows kind of allowed me to do that. Hosting shows like NFL Live, uh, which allowed me to do that. Then getting uh, the endorsement of some several athletes or several big name People coming through, pushing me through that way, and other people who believed in me, a guy named Dave Roberts, who's one of the executives at ESPN, he saw me as a black man because he was black himself. He realized that they were holding me back, 
And he said, no, we want this guy to grow. And it allowed me to grow a little bit more. So I still, Brother Rob, go through it, to be quite honest with you, because once you're conditioned to be a certain way and you're afraid to actually be yourself, you know, because of the powers that be, because of the rules that are out there that that um, kind of uh, bind your society or, or, uh, 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 or, 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 you know, like police your society or whatever, it makes you feel like, man, you know, I don't want to lose something that's very valuable to me or something that is important to me. But right now, I've gotten to the point where I am a rebel and I am going to be myself regardless if you like it or not. Absolutely, as well you should be, because it's very important to be yourself. You don't know anything else other than being yourself. And in being yourself, then you move over to Fox Sports, where you're able to grow at a more exponential rate. Talk about the experience of being at Fox Sports and seeing us and we seeing you doing the college thing. What Did, did you choose college sports or was that your niche or did it choose you? You. It was funny when I got to Fox Sports. Fox Sports was a godsend, man. Like I remember being at ESPN and being miserable uh, when I was there the last couple of years there because uh, I was ready to leave. I, I, as much as I love ESPN, it gave me the platform. I know once again, I want to preface myself by letting people know I would not be in a position I am right now if it wasn't for those four letters and being there for nine years, whatnot. So uh, it was a great nine years. Uh, it gave me some exposure, uh, gave me a following or whatnot. People knew my name or whatever, and it got me the job at Fox Sports because I was on ESPN mainly because ESPN radio. But there's another guy who I always call, like I said, my Oprah's Dave Roberts was one of ESPN. Scott uh, Ackerson was another one here at Fox who saw something in me when I was on ESPN radio. And he saw my personality and he saw how much I could really be if I'm allowed to grow and be the person I am. So he brought me in to actually be me, to be myself. And if you remember when FS1 first started, they said we're the one for fun. You know, they wanted a fun sports cast. They wanted to come in, and have everybody enjoy themselves and take it back to the old school. So when I got interviewed for FS1, man, I wanted to be here so bad. It was almost like, gosh, this is um, this is my dream job. And so uh, long story short, I finally got a chance to come over here in the summer of 2013. And uh, still, even then, I was still afraid, man, to kind of open up as much as I wanted to. And I had to be encouraged flipping this by the executives to say, hey, Mike, be you. No, we brought you in here to do this. And still, when you kind of have that Pavlov theory where you've been hit on the nose enough uh, by your owner, if you're a dog, all of a sudden it's like, okay, yeah, you're telling me to do that, but I'm not a, I'm not about to get hit on my nose with a newspaper. And uh, But they kept encouraging me, kept encouraging me. I got my job uh, as a, I had a host, a show on America's Free Game for two years, which was phenomenal. It was great. I love that show. But then they switched things up and they went to all debate uh, on FS1. So I was still under contract and they still wanted to keep me around. So they kind of put me in the studio as a studio host, which I love hosting. And so that's how I kind of got into the college football and college basketball realm, because I was mainly an NFL NBA guy. When I was at ESPN, I did every single show in the building, every show except outside the lines I posted at ESPN. So. One of the things that was good about me was that I was, uh, you know, I was versatile. And when they talk about me, they talk about me being versatile and being able to host every show, every sport or whatnot, which makes you very valuable. And I tell kids that all the time. Don't just stick with one thing. Always try and uh, move around and do as much as you possibly can. But uh, with college basketball and college football, that seems to be one of their staples at Fox when it comes to studio shows. So that's been uh, the job that I've been able to maintain 
uh, for the last four or five years. And uh, I'm doing baseball as well this summer like I did last year. So it's good. I love it. And I still have a love of sports, but I'm also trying to branch out and do other things as well. And, you know, I have an important sports question to ask you at the end of this. But, uh, you know, throughout your career, there was one channel that came about that had everybody that looked like us. And that was the Black News Channel. And I watched your show faithfully where, you know, you and Sharon Reed, you had a start your day show. And I watched faithfully every single morning. I tagged you in some posts where we were watching from the studio. And I said, hey, Mike, I'm watching. I'm watching. So, yeah, hey, look, I know y'all, you guys got me through a lot of things, but we were well informed. Talk about the experience of being with the Black News Channel and how that helped you up your versatility immediately. Thank you for that question. I appreciate that, man. Um, it helped tremendously. It was an opportunity. Like I said, I've always been known as the sports guy, even when I would try and transition to something else, you know, host other uh uh, programming on other networks, whatnot, even streaming channels. It's like, oh, we don't have a sports show. Like, I, I want to do more in sports. And uh, that how that came about, I, I had a show on um, Fox Soul uh, as a host, me and Mike and Donnie show, where I was TV host, like a late night kind of a barbershop talk type of a show that we would do. Love that show, by the way. Thank you, thank you, bro. We had a great time. And Sharon came on as a guest. And Sharon and I kind of clicked. And then so when they hired Sharon over the Black News Channel, I guess they asked her who would she like to have as a co-host. And she suggested me. They brought me in, talked to me. And it was an opportunity that I jumped at, man. Even though I was doing other things with the Clippers and whatnot, I was like, this is an opportunity for me to be seen in a different light. And at that particular time, obviously, you know, I don't think that we get enough exposure, enough of our stories are told on the national news when it comes to uh, African-Americans. So. I was like, this is something that I'm I'm really interested in, not only for myself, but for our people. So I jumped at it and uh, it was a great experience. Getting up early in the morning here in uh, L.A. at two o'clock in the morning to do it was pretty tough. But it was something I enjoyed doing because I had fun on the show when we weren't talking about heavy topics. Obviously, uh, during that time, it was during the pandemic. A lot was going on racially. The George Floyd murder situation was happening. Uh, we had so many issues going on race wise, whatnot. So a lot of stories could be like really heavy and, and hard on you and you carry them for a long period of time, man. But it's an experience uh, that I will always cherish and one that I will never forget. And I hope that, uh, you know, like I said, it gave me a springboard and a platform to be able to show my range and to be able to say that, hey, I can do other things. Now, the one thing I will say about the Black News Channel is that it's needed. People wanted it, but one thing I will always call us out on, I'm always going to speak my truth, like I said, I'm very open, is that when we ask for things like that, as a people, positive stories talking about us raising the issues that you don't see on CNN or Fox or even programming, scripted programs that you see on ABC or NBC that don't tell our stories, and we finally get it, we have to support it. If we don't support it, if we don't put the word out about those things, guess what? You're not going to get the viewers. You're not going to get the numbers, which you're not going to generate the uh, ad revenue, which is not going to be able to sustain it. Now, you can talk all you want to about what happened at the Black News Channel when it came to a leadership standpoint. And I'm not privy to a lot of that stuff. I heard a lot of rumors and all that type of stuff like that. But at the end of the day, 
and we gotten the support that we needed, I think the Black News Channel would have still been around. I know the Black News Channel would have still been around. And once again, it would have been something, a source for us to continue to grow, to be able to show and uh, give those stories that are much needed in our community. So I'll just put it at that. I'll leave it at that. Absolutely. And um, and I agree with that statement. And, you know, there's not a lot of black media around, but when you have it, we have to embrace it and we have to be ready for our stories to be told transparently and put on the forefront and especially in a positive manner. So, you know, kudos to you saying that because we're black media as well. And this is why the transparency is needed here. So thank you so much for saying that. We really appreciate that. But even in the midst of the good times, there have been losses and those losses tend to pile up and what have you. And sometimes from a mental health standpoint, what that does is it puts people in a dark place when you feel like you may be on the top of things, then the bottom could drop out sometimes. So how were you able to deal with all of that adversity at one time? Oh, wow, man, that's a great question, bro. It's like you're in my head right now. This, I'll, I'll be honest with you, man, ever since the Black News Channel folded, uh, it'll be, man, it will be two years next month in March. Wow. Um, it's been a tough, it's really, it really has been tough, man. I mean, like, I'll tell people like this, man, never believe what you see on social media all the time. Only believe half of it because there's another side to the story. People always put the glossy side of their life on social media. I am one of the people that, I'll tell you when I'm having a bad day, but I've had to learn how to do that because I used to always put that mask on as well. But the last two years have been very tough man. losing that full time job out here hustling, even though you see the perception of me on Fox Sports and all that's still a seasonal job for me. Um, and I'm just being totally honest about that. Uh, I'm out here trying to find other means of income to, to, to take care of me uh, after college basketball season is over because even though I'm doing baseball, that's only sporadically here and there. So I have to do other things and that's why I need to be versatile and whatnot. Uh, but doing that, losing that job. Also, I was in a public relationship. Uh, obviously, a lot of people know that. I was uh, married to a reality show star and we had a, a great marriage for a while and then it wasn't. And then we got a divorce and I was very public and perception out there about why we broke up. A lot of rumors that were untrue or whatever. I had to fight that off. Uh, seeing the deaths of a lot of uh, close people who for, uh, that were close to me, uh, friends that were close to me uh, due to COVID and other issues and whatnot, man. So the last two years have been really, really tough. And I will say, had I not been in a space mentally when it came to mental health, it probably would have broken me. But the blessing, I will say, if I could use that word, was that because of everything that I've gone through in my life, in my past and the help that I finally gotten for myself, it prepared me for this time right now. So even though the last two years of my life have been the hardest two years of my life, I've been prepared for that and I know I can handle it. And I have the mindset knowing that everything that you go through, you go through. And when you come out of it, you come out of it better. So I'm so thankful for my burdens because my burdens always turn into blessings. And like I said, had I not gone through that in the past, I would not be in a position to realize that I'm in a position that God is setting me up for something that's greater and is coming very soon. So I wrote the book, Open Mic, because I was at a time in my life uh, five years ago, four or five, five years ago, uh, it came out in 2000. 
But five years ago when I started writing the book, I was at a, a, a time in my life where I had that mask on, where I had this public perception, great job, great money, doing all this stuff like that, living this lifestyle or whatever. But underneath, man, I was dying inside. I was crying uh, at home, wondering why I'm crying. It was all that pain, all that torment, all that trauma that I had from my childhood that never came out, that I had suppressed for so many years that needed to be let go. And so I let it go in that book that became my first form of therapy. And then after that, I realized I need to go to mental therapy and see a, a therapist uh, ever so often just to let that stuff go to be my rehabilitation. So once again, I know it's a long answer, but if it wasn't for what I've gone through in my past, I would not be prepared for what's happening to me in my present right now. And I wouldn't have the mindset to know that my my future is going to be much better. Would you have said that writing your book, yeah. Open Mic, was a form of that therapy in addition to the uh, seeing a therapist and what you, the other concepts that you adopted? Yeah, if I wouldn't have written the book, I would have died. I'd, I'd, I'd say that wholeheartedly and genuinely, I, without a doubt, really feel like I would not be here today. I really feel like when I at that time that I had to write the book, I had to write the book because somebody told me to write the book years ago because they knew about my background, they knew my story, they knew about the abuse that I went through, they knew about the abuse that I saw witnessing as a child, they knew about uh, my, my best friend being killed in the drive-by shooting, they knew about uh, my dad being a hitman, spent the last nine years of his life in prison, murder for hire, they saw the things and the, all the stuff that I've dealt with from my job, growing up in my neighborhoods and all that stuff, and all the things that I suppressed over the years and continue to put on this smiling face. When people will see me on television, they see me in this shirt and tie, suit, made up and all that type of stuff, smiling all the time, trying to bring joy to people. And that was me. That's still me. But in, inside, man, I was burning up on the inside and I had never let it go because we as black men, a lot of times we're taught to be tough. We're taught to man up and deal with it. And uh, as black people, sometimes we're taught, hey, man, that's just life. You know, hey, your life ain't worse than anybody else's. Everybody else that lives in these certain environments. Uh, this is just the way we had to deal with it in this country for years. Well, it ain't the way you have to deal with it. There are other ways you can deal with it to let it go, but we never let it go because we don't want to talk to anybody because we feel like, A, you don't want to tell anybody your business, and B, as a man, you don't want to admit that you have a so-called weakness, which isn't a weakness. If you let go of your emotions, that's work. That is not weakness. That is work. So I was one of those black men who grew up that way with that mindset, and then finally my body broke down and told me, and if you don't do this, if you don't let this go, you're going to die. You're going to die. I really felt like a stroke, a heart attack was in my future because I was really feeling dead on the inside while I was crying. So when I started writing the book, I always say when I wrote the book and let it go, I felt this relief and all this stress and all that pain and all that sadness and all that trauma that I've been holding on for over 40 some years was finally being let out of my body. So I always call that book my my uh, surgery that I needed. You get shot, you know, you gotta have a surgery to remove the bullet. So that was me removing the bullet. But even after all those years, there's infection that's inside that needs to be cleaned out and all that type of stuff like that. So going to therapy and going to have my mental health uh, maintained over a period of time, that's removing that infection, continuing to go back and to make sure that there are nothing, there is nothing else that has happened to you over a period of time that you're not even thinking about that you, you know, like you, you get shot here and your knee could be messed up, but because you're so concerned about this, you're not even looking at your knee. So when you go back to mental health and you go back to therapy, all of a sudden, yeah, you can address this issue, but there are so many other issues 
that you've forgotten about that you haven't tapped into. And with therapy, that allows you to tap into those issues of the why this is happening to your life so that you can make your life better and you can make it better for the people who are around you. Because when you when you think about it, when you're going through some kind of issues in your life, you're not only affecting your life, but the people who are close to you are affected as well. You just don't realize it sometimes. You know, and I, that's definitely agreed. And um, first of all, phenomenal book cover, by the way. Um, Open Mic is just absolutely phenomenal. And I'm, I'm, I'm glad you're not giving away the whole book because we got to go out and support you and get this phenomenal book that you have written. But what is the biggest takeaway that you want people out there in Radio Land and all over the world that are looking at this book, Open Mic, to take away from that book once they read it? Yeah, I mean, I put my embarrassing moments on a, in that book, man. I put a lot, like I said, it's open. I'm very open. The reason that my book cover is me being on the cover looking naked is because I told my naked truth. And the reason why you see those ropes around my body, obviously those are microphone ropes, those are my chains, whatever. And then open mic is just part of my mic. It's, you know, part of my name as well. And I'm in shadows because my head is down because I'm embarrassed about some of the things that I've done in my past, whatever, man. But, you know, uh, it's me also coming out of the shadows. It's me coming out of the darkness and stepping into the light uh, to show people, man, hey, that you don't have to stay in the darkness. So what I want people to realize is that, hey, you're not alone, uh, even though it's embarrassing for me to tell some of these stories and to share some of these details. And yeah, I've gotten a lot of pushback, especially when it came to how I was in my early marriages and whatnot. Um, it's worth it because if I'm reaching out and I'm touching somebody that reads this book and it's like, man, he's going through this. I see him on television all the time. He's living his life or whatever. What I didn't realize he went through. Oh, this is how he changed his life. This is how he, he, he made uh, his life better for himself and other people, whatever. If he can do it, I can do it. And that's what I put it in there. And that's why I put it in very um, real raw details and very simple details of, hey, man, this is where my mind was at that particular time. This is how stupid it was because I was taught to do it this way. And while I'm not putting the blame on anybody else, we also realize that sometimes your environment or people that you're around can teach you some things that are wrong. I'm telling people, man, that like everything that you're taught isn't the right way all the time. We got to rethink our mindset. So just because my dad was taught a certain way and his dad was taught a certain way of how to treat certain people, whatever, or to live a certain life. And it was passed down to me. It's time to end the cycle. And that's all I'm saying is like I'm not passing down these generational traumas to my kids. And I hope my kids will now look at what I'm teaching them because they've been affected by it early in their life. Hopefully I can teach them now that, hey, man, this is Mike Hill a changed person who wants to do better for himself, who still is not an angel. Don't get me wrong. Still not perfect, but somebody that understands that he needs the help and he needs to continue to maintain that help uh, in order to make himself better. If I can do it, so can you. And that's the message that I want somebody out there to uh, whoever's reading the book to, to get. Maybe they read it themselves or somebody read it and they, they know somebody just like that. They can pass it down to Absolutely. And my final question here is there's people out there, like I said, in Radio Land who are listening to this right now and they're feeling like they have no idea where to start. And they may have went through, of course, everybody goes through different things, but they're going through things right now and they don't know where to start as it pertains to their mental health. 
What is the best advice that you have for that person out there somewhere across this world in Radio Land for this morning? Well, first of all, the, the fact if you realize that you need to help, that's the first key. You cannot heal what you do not reveal. You can't keep that inside. You have got to let it go. It eventually has got to come out. If, if it doesn't come out uh, of you uh, voluntarily, eventually it's going to come out some other way. And I always encourage you to do that because what you don't realize is that the way it's coming out is toxic when you don't allow it to come out the way you want it to come out, especially when it comes to men. And I think the key for men a lot of times is the encouragement of women. <laughs> we do everything in our lives for the most part. 90 percent of what we do is for the gratification and the satisfaction of women. Whether you like, I'm not talking about in a sexual way. I'm just talking about just to please them. We get our haircuts. We get groomed. We dress a certain way. We wear cologne. We drive certain cars. We want to make certain kind, a lot of money, uh, only to, to to make women happy and satisfied because you, that's just true. So when a woman says, "I love it when a man takes care of his mental health. I love it when a man shows his vulnerability. I love it when a man shows transparency. I love it when a man is into his mental health and wants to make himself better." For me and others, when you hear that, that makes you as a man want to go out there and get the help that you need. But you got to want it for yourself. You have got to understand that the ways that you've been taught are not necessarily the right ways. I'm not saying all of it, but it's not necessarily the right way. So the first key is, man, admit it. This is a problem. It's almost like an addiction. First step to a, any addiction when you are an alcoholic or a drug addict, I have a problem. You can admit that. Then you go and talk to somebody and you let it go and you let go some of the things that's pain you. And you got to go back and you got to dig because a lot of this trauma happens when you're a kid and you've, you've tried to forget about it, but you got to go dig and just be honest with yourself. And so even if you go, don't go to a therapist, talk to a good friend that you feel like and you can really trust, a safe space that you can trust. Talk to God. You know what I mean? But at the same time, a pastor, God, a friend, somebody, you got to get this stuff off your chest. And once you start realizing that, then find a therapist, find a good therapist. And the first one might not work out for you, but find somebody that will listen to you, that will talk to you, that will give you the tools that are necessary to help you live the life that you're supposed to live a better life. Not only once again for yourself, but for the people around you as well, man, I guarantee you, You'll feel so much more relieved. You'll feel so much lighter and you'll have so much more discernment because it's not only helping you, but you'll also see people around you that shouldn't have been around you for a long You should have you know, basically given emotional vacations a long time ago because people that are in your presence, that eat with you, that uh, break bread with you, that drink with you, that applaud you all the time, some of them don't like you. But because you're in that space as well, you can't even see how much they dislike you. So it'll give you so much more discernment and give you so much more vision and transparency of, of yourself and others, man, that it is, I guarantee will make your life a whole lot better. Wow. Um, I'm going to tell you something. You said something very, very powerful. And I hope that um, Mike has said something to you out there in Radio Land that has definitely resonated with you to go ahead and take a stand on your mental health and really get it in order. Uh, this is about 2020 forward and we must take heed of that. A lot of us have, you know, we're standoffish when it comes to mental health because the first word that comes to mind is crazy. And mm -hmm. it's a stigma. It's a major stigma out there. And, you know, we tend to get scared by that one, with that one simple word, 
That's yep. it. And yep. it doesn't even mean that. And so that is definitely sound advice that uh, is for our listeners today. Um, and wow, I mean, that was as powerful as it gets. But uh, listen, I know you have a tight schedule and everything, but I want to make sure that the people out there in Radio Land know where to not only find, follow you and connect with you, but also be able to support you by getting this phenomenal book, Open Mic, that you have written, which is basically the tell all, which can really help people and get people to push themselves to get a start in taking heed of their mental health. So how can everybody do that? Yeah, real quick, I know we got to go, but uh, I'm glad you brought up the whole thing, the stigma. And I know it's a, a negative connotation when you hear about therapy or whatnot. Right. Don't think anybody, we're not crazy. We, we just are flawed. And there's nothing wrong being flawed because there's no person that's perfect on this earth at all. God is the only perfection that there is in our life. So don't look at it that way. We all have gone through something that has affected us in our lives. Traumas, just going through 2020, a pandemic. That is trauma that you don't realize. We Nobody's ever had to go through that. It's tough, man. You got to get stuff off your chest. And as black people, man, sometimes the racism that you deal with, you see every day, that's trauma that you suppress because you're so used to it because this is the way you've grown up. It's not the way it should be. So stop thinking crazy when you think about therapy. Just think about flawed and trying to perfect yourself and make yourself better. But people can support the book, man. Open mic uh, It's on Amazon.com, BarnesandNobles.com. It's at Walmart.com. It's where books are sold and whatnot. I really appreciate that. You can follow me uh, on my social media on Twitter and Instagram at It's ITS Mike Hill. Uh, I'm there all the time answering all questions and DMs. And please continue to. Watch me on Fox Sports and other outlets, man. More and more is to come. I'm doing stand-up comedy. I'm going to write another book. Uh, I'm producing shows behind the scenes. I'm just trying to make, uh, like you said, 2024, 2020 more and even beyond, man. This is going to be my year. And uh, the next 20 years of my life going to be the best 20 years of my life. I guarantee it, professionally and personally, because I'm making myself better in both matters, man. So I appreciate your time and thank you for the platform. Brother. Absolutely. You always know you're welcome back on this platform at any time. Anything you have going on, please, you know, you have you have a black owned, black operated home to come to when you want to really speak transparently about anything that you want to speak about. So we are here for you. We support you, my brother. And I want to thank you personally from me to you, from Brother Rob to Mike Hill, always on the job. You know what I mean? For being a mentor, watching you over the years has made me become better at my craft. Thank you for being a mentor. You you didn't even meet me until a couple of years ago, but I'm glad that I did because you are genuine through and through and you show people exactly who you are, the powerful king that you are every single day and never let anybody take that from you. There's no way anybody can take that from you. So I want to thank you for being that mentor behind the scenes as it pertains to media. So I appreciate you. Hey, everybody out there, please get open mic now. If you he didn't even give away the whole book, but he said a lot of powerful things in this interview that will want to make you want to get his book and get even more powerful gems of wisdom. So 
please, everywhere where books are sold, please, Amazon, wherever you want to get it, go ahead and get Open Mic. Not now, but right now, because <laughs> it will help you move your journey along to the next level. All you need is that one push and this book will give you that push. So I want to once again, thank you so much for being on the morning machine. And once again, an honor and a privilege to have you. Thank you, brother Rob. Appreciate you, man. Continue the great work, man. I appreciate all your kind words, man. And I'm here for you anytime you need me, brother. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much.